you guys can be seated this morning. If you want to open up with me in your copy of Scripture to John chapter 10, we'll continue our study through um, this great chapter. So we've been going through John's Gospel now for a while, and we've seen that this book is focused on the person and work of Christ, who He is in His person and what He came to do in His work. And we've seen that over the last couple weeks that Christ has come as the Good Shepherd. He is the one that has come as the true Good Shepherd. Where all the false shepherds of Israel failed, Christ has come as the true Shepherd of God's people. The one that we saw that was promised in Ezekiel 34, the one that would come and gather all of God's people to Himself. That's what shepherds do. They gather the flock, they gather the people, This is who Christ is. He is the good shepherd. And so this tells us not only about his person, who he is, he's good, he's a shepherd, but also the nature of his work, what he came to do, calling all his sheep to himself, where all the sheep had been scattered by the false shepherds of Israel, Christ has come as the good shepherd. And we also saw that he is the only door of the sheepfold, the only door of the sheep that he's the only way by which men might enter into eternal life and have salvation. It's not by works of the law. It's not by human effort or exertion, but by faith in Christ and in him alone, the Messiah, that is the door into the sheepfold. There's only one door. All the people that try to come in the back door are thieves and robbers. Christ is the door of the sheep. And What's so great is the context that all of this came in, which we saw in John chapter 9, the healing of the man born blind. It's like a great acting out of all that Jesus came to do. This man that was blind physically and spiritually, Christ comes and causes him not only to see physically, but opens the eyes of his heart. And by the end of the chapter, he is confessing Christ as Lord and worshiping him. And so, as one uh, commentator put it, Jesus here, as the true shepherd, is calling this man out of the dead fold, out of the dead fold of Judaism and into the true fold of Christ. Because we saw the, the Pharisees kick him out of the synagogue, they kick him out of the temple, and Jesus is calling him into the true fold of himself. And so, what we'll see this week is that not only are there other sheep that are going to be called by Christ, the sheep of the nations that Jesus will bring into the sheepfold, that there will be one flock, both Jew and Gentile. But as we'll see this week, Jesus is able to do this. He's able to call sheep from both Jew and Gentile because he is not simply just a man, but he is God incarnate. He is the all-powerful one who has all authority given to him. He is the eternally begotten Son of the Father, the divine shepherd of God's people who alone has authority to not only lay down his life for his sheep, but he has the authority to take it back up again. (laughs) He has authority to take it back up and again. And in that act, he is creating one people in himself, one new man, one flock with one shepherd, and that this was the eternal plan and purpose of God 
the triune God for the redemption of his people. So that's what we're going to see today. So I'm going to read our passage. I'll pray for us, and then we'll take a look at God's word. We'll be looking this morning at verses 16 through 21, but I'll begin at verse 14. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus said to them, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for your holy, infallible word your special revelation to us, your people, by which we might hear the voice of God speaking to us this morning through your word. We thank you that you have given it to us and that um, you have given us ears to hear this morning. And so we pray and ask this morning that by the power of your spirit, you would cause your word to be made effectual for your people unto salvation, that you would cause the eyes of our hearts to be opened, just as the eyes of this man were opened, so that we might see the true glory of Christ this morning, the Good Shepherd, who has come, who has laid down his life, and has taken it back up again, so that there might be one flock, one shepherd, one people of God. And so we we pray and ask this morning that you would be with us, that you would strengthen us by your Spirit to hear and understand these things, and you would give us grace this morning to trust in Christ and receive and rest upon Him alone this morning for salvation. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So as we've been going through John's Gospel, again, we've seen Christ presented as these statements where he'll say, I am, and fill in the blank, I am the light of the world, I am the good shepherd, I am the door of the sheep, telling us about who he is and what he came to do. And we saw last week, and we saw in our reading this morning, that Jesus affirms that he is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd, that he knows his sheep intimately and uniquely. They know him, and he knows them. He's not like the hired hands, the false shepherds of Israel that care nothing for the sheep, who go around making themselves fat off of the sheep. He is presenting himself as the true shepherd, the good shepherd of God's people. And we saw a little bit last week that this is a massive claim from our Lord. This would have been shocking to the people of that day for two reasons. Why? The first reason we saw last week is that in the Old Testament, it is God himself who is called the shepherd of the sheep. So Jesus, in claiming to be the good shepherd, is saying, 
is making a claim to divinity. He's saying, I am God. It is God in the Old Testament that is the shepherd of his people. Jesus stands up and says, I'm the good shepherd. But the second thing, and why this would be shocking and a massive claim from our Lord, is that also in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, the offspring of Abraham, they were pictured as the sheep of God's pasture. That's what we saw in places like um, Psalm 23 and all these other uh, places in the Old Testament that the people of Israel were pictured as the sheep of his flock. And Jesus is saying, I am the door of the sheep. So he's not only claiming to be God, but he's claiming to be the only means by which one may be saved and be a true sheep. It is only through him that someone can be a true sheep. It's only by one's knowledge and faith in him that makes someone a true sheep. Not one's nationality, not who someone's parents are, but Christ and entering through the door of the sheep. And this is not new to readers of John's gospel. What does John say? In the very first chapter, John chapter 1, in the prologue, verse 13, he says, the true children of God are not those born of the flesh, but those born of God. (laughs) Born again, born anew, born from above, as he'll say in John chapter 3. And what's so amazing about John's gospel is we see this idea that Christ is the door of the sheep. He's the one that all people of God have looked forward to from Genesis all the way to Revelation. John makes this very clear in his gospel, and we see this recorded several times. Jesus will say, the Old Testament scriptures spoke about me. (laughs) You're searching them for eternal life, but it is they that speak about me. He'll also say in that same place, John chapter 5, that Moses wrote about him. Even though you can't find Jesus' name in the, the first five books of the Bible, Jesus says, Moses wrote about me. He also says in John chapter 8 that Abraham, who was born 1,500 years before Christ, looked forward to Christ's day. He saw it and was glad. So it has always been about faith in Christ, in the mediator, in the Messiah. It's always been about that, and John makes that clear. It's been about looking forward to the promised Messiah, the suffering servant. And so Jesus here is calling out by his word and spirit, the true sheep of Israel, the Old Testament remnant, true believers from the fold of Israel. We saw that with the man that was born blind. Jesus is calling out his sheep. He's calling them to himself. He is redeeming and saving them, opening their eyes to the glory of the gospel, just like the man that was born blind. So we come to our passage this morning, and specifically in verse 16, Jesus says something very interesting. In verse 16, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. This is a very important statement by our Lord. Our Lord here states that he has other sheep, true sheep, but other sheep that are not of this fold, of the house of Israel. They are of another fold, not of the house of Israel, and that he also must bring them into the sheepfold. This is his divine mission, calling these sheep of another fold and bringing them to himself. What does this mean? What is Jesus talking about? He's continuing this analogy between sheep, shepherds, and sheepfold. 
What is Jesus talking about here? This is a reference by our Lord to the Gentiles, the people of another fold, being welcomed into the people of God, the household of God, that the people of the nations would come and enter into the house of God through Christ, that they would be called and redeemed by the Messiah, that there might be one flock with one shepherd. And so this is an amazing statement by our Lord. And it's really difficult to talk about all the significance of this verse, even in one sermon, but we're going we're gonna to try to do that. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Notice, not only is Jesus claiming to foreknow his sheep prior to them even hearing his voice. He says, I have other sheep, they will hear my voice. He knows them before they even hear his voice. But we see here that it is both Jew and Gentile, Israel and the nations together that make one people of God, the church of God, called and chosen by Christ. Now, it's important to see that this would have been a shocking statement for the people of that day. Why do I say that? Part of what it means to be a Jew is that you're not a Gentile, right? Part of what it means to be Jewish is to be separated from the Gentiles. A Gentile is, a, is classified as someone who is not Jewish. By definition, there is this separation from Jew and Gentile. The Gentiles were considered to be unclean, outside of the people of Israel, uncircumcised, unholy, idolaters. In every way, they were considered different and separate from the Jewish people. And this separation is not wholly without precedent, because when you look at the Old Testament, this separation began with Abraham. What was he called to do? Circumcise his offspring. He was called to give his children this sign that would separate Israel from the rest of the nations. This is how they would know who the people of Israel were and the people of the nations. And this continued in the civil and the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. This clear dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. This dividing wall, this wall of separation. But as we look at all of the scriptures, and even as we went through our series on kind of covenant theology, we saw that the purpose of this wall was temporary and provisional. It was temporary and provisional. What does that mean? It was never meant to be a permanent wall of separation. It was never meant to be a permanent wall of separation, but a temporary one for the purpose of bringing forth the Messiah, the seed of the woman, the offspring of Abraham that would come and bless the nations. That's why the sign of circumcision, its goal, its end, its telos was Christ in a sense because he was the offspring of Abraham that would come and bless the nations or bless and justify the nations as Paul would say. And this is what the Jews of that day missed. They missed this temporary provisional nature of this wall of separation. And sadly, many in our day miss this as well. That the purpose of the promise to Abraham, 
the intent from the very beginning was that the nations would be welcomed in to one people of God, Jew and Gentile. That the purpose from the very beginning was that the nations would be welcomed in. How do we know this? How can I say this? You go to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 9. We don't have time to look at this, but one of the, son, the, the sons of Noah, there's this promise given to the sons of Noah that Japheth, representing the people of the nations, will dwell in the tents of Shem. That the people of the nations will dwell in the tents of Shem. Shem representing the people of Israel. That we see very early on in the book of Genesis the idea that the nations will be welcomed into the tent or the house of the people of Israel. What do we see in Genesis chapter 12 in the promise to Abraham? The promise to Abraham is that you give a sign to your children to separate them from the nations, but what's the purpose of that promise? So that one might come forth that would bless the nations. There's this separation for the purpose of inclusion. It seems contradictory, but it's the plan and purpose of God that that Abraham would have one that would come from him that would bless all the nations. We read about this in Isaiah chapter 49, that the promised servant would be a light to the nations. This is why Jesus stands up in John chapter 8 and says, I am the light of the world. (laughs) Not just the Jews, but the world, Jew and Gentile. And we read this morning in Isaiah 56 in our call to worship, that the foreigners and the outcast will join themselves to the Lord and be gathered in. So there's these promises, even as early as Genesis, of the inclusion of the Gentiles into the people of God, that there was always this plan and purpose of God that there would be one flock, one people of God, chosen, called, gathered in by the Good Shepherd, hearing His voice in the Gospel, following Him alone, the one Shepherd, the one Head, the Lord Jesus Christ. This was always the plan and purpose of God. And even though this dividing wall existed temporarily at the coming of Christ in His life, His death, His resurrection and ascension, what does Paul say? It's been broken down. It's been broken down. It's been demolished so that the gospel might go to all the nations. That the gospel might go to all the nations. This dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. This is exactly what we see in the book of Acts, right? The the Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost. And what does God say in the book of Acts? He says that the the, the disciples will receive power. Why? For what purpose? So that the gospel might go to Jerusalem, to Judea, to, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this was always the plan and purpose of God, and you see this in the book of Acts. Christ himself from heaven, building his church, both Jew and Gentile, by the power of the Spirit and the proclamation of the gospel. One flock, one people. And we see this confirmed in the book of Ephesians, which we read from this morning. If you want to turn there to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. We might stop a little bit early. But this is Paul 
speaking to the Gentiles who were at this church in Ephesus, and he's telling them what the purpose of this dividing wall was and what God has done in light of Christ. Listen to these words beginning in verse 11. He says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He's saying, you Gentiles, You didn't have the Old Testament. You didn't have the law given by Moses. You had nothing. But he says this in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one. (laughs) He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility." You can see how Paul would have been thinking about John chapter 10. One flock, one shepherd, one people of God. Those that were far off have been brought near. What once was two has now become one. And Christ himself is the one that preached this peace to those who were far off. We see that those who were far off, the Gentiles, have been brought near into one body, the church of God, and Paul will later go on to say that you are the temple of God, the the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. And this is all those that have heard the voice of the shepherd, the one people of God. And that's why John can, or Jesus can say in John chapter 10, verse 16, that the true sheep will hear his voice. The true sheep will hear his voice. He guarantees it. He doesn't say, my sheep, they might hear my voice. My sheep, they they might have a chance to hear my voice. Look at verse 16. He says, they will listen to my voice. And we kind of, what does this mean? What does it mean that Jesus, the shepherd, causes his people to hear his voice. Is this an audible voice from heaven? Was Jesus going around in the book of Acts preaching the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth? Was it an audible voice? Is that how you and I were saved? Was through an audible voice from heaven, from the shepherd? No. What does Paul say? It is through the public proclamation of Christ and him crucified. That is how God's people hear the voice of the shepherd in the preaching of the gospel, in the preaching of the Word of God, Paul says it is Christ Himself who preaches peace. He, the ascended Lord, preaches peace from heaven. That is how we hear the voice of the shepherd. He effectually calls His sheep to Himself by His Word and by His Spirit, opening the eyes of their hearts 
to see the glory of the gospel, taking those that were once unholy, unclean, defiled by their sin and darkness, having only hard hearts of stone, he takes those people and gives them new hearts of flesh by his Spirit, sprinkling them clean from all their uncleanliness and defilement, forgiving their sin and iniquity, and writing the law on their hearts. This is what God has done in the gospel, in the covenant of grace, and this is the power of the Son of God. And we see that it is this good news, and it is only this good news that is made possible because Christ, the good shepherd, not only willingly lays down his life for his sheep, but as the divine and eternal son, he is able to take it up again. (laughs) Because he is not just man, but God. And this brings us to verses 17 and 18. Jesus says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Notice Jesus is claiming something that no mere man can claim. No mere human can claim to take their own life and raise it up again. It's almost as if Jesus is saying this, As the incarnate Son, as the Messiah, who is fully man, I am going to suffer and die. I'm going to lay down my life for my sheep. This is the grounds of their salvation. This is the only way they can be made right with God, made sheep of this pasture, is if I die and lay down my life. But as the eternal and divine Son of God the eternally begotten one, the second person of the triune God, no one takes my life from me. No one takes my life from me. I alone have power to lay it down and to take it up again. This is the glory of our two-natured Redeemer. He's not just fully man who will suffer and die. He is fully and very God. I like what one early church father said, Athanasius said this, trying to distinguish when Jesus is talking about his sufferings as a man and his power and authority as God. I thought this was very helpful. Helpful. He says this, to be troubled, to suffer and to die was proper only to the flesh, only to his humanity. God cannot suffer. God cannot die. That's only proper to his flesh, to his humanity. But to have power to lay down his life and take it up again, that is only proper to God, to his divinity. This is the power and authority of Christ, who is both truly and very God and truly and very man. He himself has power over life and death and ultimately his own resurrection. That even though In John's gospel, we'll see this when we get there, even though evil men will plot to kill him, even though lawless men will crucify him on the cross, we see in the book of Acts that this is all according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. That this is not outside of God's control. Jesus did not just happen to fall into this. 
This is all going according to God's plan of salvation, wrought in eternity past and brought to fulfillment in time and space in the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. That the eternal Son was sent by the eternal Father to accomplish redemption. That's what he says in verse 18. He says, this charge, this command, I have received from my Father. I've been sent on this mission, on this divine mission to accomplish redemption for my people, to take on flesh in the incarnation, to fulfill all righteousness, to suffer and to die, willingly laying down his life for his sheep, that by his divine power he might take it up again in his glorious resurrection from the dead, doing everything that we could not, suffering and dying for our sins, being resurrected for us and for our salvation, thus securing an eternal redemption for God's people, one flock under one shepherd, the risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ." (laughs) And we see in the, in the last couple of verses, even though there's division among the Jews, some say he's demon-possessed. Some say there's no way a demon can open the eyes of the blind. We see that it is Christ alone who opens the eyes of those that are blind. It is him alone that has power and authority to do these things. This charge he's received from the Father. He will do this completely and fully, and he will bring about the salvation planned in eternity past, and brought to fulfillment in Christ. And so as we step away from our passage this morning, three things I want us to look at this morning that we see here in our passage. The first thing is this. In these verses, we see the eternal plan and purpose of the triune God in the salvation of His people and the power and authority of the divine Son we see the power and authority of the divine Son. He is the one sent from the Father who has all authority. No one is going to take his life from him. He has authority to lay his life down, and he has authority to take it up again. He did this for us and for our salvation. We don't have that power. (laughs) We do not have the power to lay down our life and take it up again. It is Christ alone. And he did this not for himself alone, but for us and for our salvation. But also notice the power of the Son in causing the sheep to hear his voice. He has a promise for all of God's people. What does he say? They will listen to my voice. He promises it. He guarantees that the true sheep of God's people will hear his voice. They will hear his voice. There will be one flock under one shepherd, one people of God. And this was the eternal plan and purpose of God. This is what we call the covenant of redemption, that the intra-Trinitarian covenant between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit to accomplish and plan redemption for God's people and bring it to fulfillment in time and space. The second thing we need to see this morning is that there is one flock, one people, one church of God. One people, one flock, one church of God. Now, I've been, for some reason, <laughs> I've been watching a lot of 
Mormonist fundamental Netflix shows <laughs> recently. There's been a lot of them recently. There was like a documentary and there was another one about Mormon fundamentalists. And they always talk in, um, and me and my wife and I lived in Utah for several years, there was always talk of Mormonism. They teach that they are the one true church, right? That all other churches are false. All other religions are false. Christians even are false. It is Mormons alone that have the one true church. That's not what we're saying in a sense. We're not saying that Covenant Reformed Baptist Church indicator is the one true church, and to be outside of this body of people is to not be saved. What do I mean when I say that there is one church of God? This is what our confession will call what we believe is the Catholic or universal church of God, the invisible church of God. What does that mean? It is all those in all ages that have been united to Christ. It is the elect of God, those that have been called and chosen by Him. This is the one people of God. And so even though there are many different denominations, many different local churches, even Daryl was referencing this in the prayer this morning, there's many different churches, there's many different denominations, but there is one people of God that have been united by the Spirit. I liked what um, John Gill had to say about this passage, a 17th century uh, particular Baptist. He says this, even though there may be several visible gospel churches, you know, think Presbyterian, Baptist, there's all different denominations, yet there is one family to which we all belong. <laughs> All those, the firstborn of heaven is what um, one writer in the New Testament will say. All those that have been united to Christ, there is one people of God, one flock under one shepherd. And why, why does this matter? Why is this important to us? Because this should help us fight for this unity of the Spirit. If it is true that there is one flock, one people of God, what does Paul say? The dividing wall of hostility has been broken. There's no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, all are one in Christ. And so I think this should motivate us as Christians to fight for this unity. That doesn't mean there's not going to be strong disagreements between denominations or different churches. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be um, strong disagreements, but it means that we should fight for this unity as much as depends on us. We should seek to live at peace with all and especially those of the true faith. And the final thing that I want to look at this morning is the call for us in this room this morning is to hear the voice of the shepherd in the proclamation of God's word. It's to hear the voice of the shepherd in the proclamation of God's word. Jesus says that his sheep will listen to his voice. He'll later go on. We'll look at this next week in John chapter 10. He says this, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. That the call this morning is to hear the voice of the shepherd in the proclamation of Christ and him crucified. This is how Christ speaks to his sheep. This is how he calls them. It's not a voice from heaven. You don't have to sit in your closet and wait to hear this voice of heaven or have a, a dream or a revelation. Hear Christ now speak in the gospel. This is the call for God's people is to hear the voice of the shepherd. And the truth is that this voice goes out to all. The public proclamation of the word of God. The call for all to repent from their sins and believe in Christ, to turn from their wickedness 
and trust in Him alone for salvation. This is how the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd in the preaching of the gospel. And it is the only means by which the sheep may be saved. What does Paul say in Romans chapter 10? How are they going to know unless someone tells them? And how is someone going to tell them if they're not sent? And how is someone going to be sent? Or I I screwed it up there, but you know what I'm talking about, right? It's only through the preaching of the gospel that people may be saved. It is through the public proclamation of God's word that Christ from heaven opens the eyes of his people causes them to see, out of darkness shines light, and it is by those means that God calls His true sheep. That when the Spirit of God takes the proclamation of the Word of God, it causes the sheep of God to truly hear the voice of the shepherd. This is, this is what we believe, and this is why we practice the means of grace, right? We don't have fancy programs. We don't have light shows and lasers and smoke. We have the proclamation of God's Word because that's the means He's going to use to call His people, redeem His people, and convict them of their sin, call them to Himself, cause Him to walk in all His ways. This is salvation. It's only found in Christ and in the gospel of Christ. And Paul will go on to say that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And so hear the voice of Christ this morning, the one shepherd of God's people proclaimed in his word. Hear the word of Christ, believe, listen to him alone. He is able to call his sheep. He is power of life and death. And he has done all of this for us and for our salvation So let's praise them this morning for his grace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for sending him in the fullness of time, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is only possible because of Christ. And we pray this morning that as your gospel goes out, that your people, your sheep, would hear your voice and they would follow you. That they would know the voice of false shepherds, they would know the voice of false teachers, that they would hear the voice of the true shepherd in the gospel this morning and follow him alone. That if there's sin they need to be convicted of, I pray that you would do that this morning by your Spirit. If they are weak in their conscience and they feel despaired, accused by the devil at every turn, I pray that you would strengthen them this morning, causing them not to look to themselves, but to Christ who has done everything. He alone has power and authority to lay down his life and take it up again for the benefit and profit of unworthy sinners. And so we pray this morning that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that you would cause us to see Christ and his glorious gospel this morning, that we would hear the voice of the shepherd and listen. We know that this is only possible by the work of the Spirit this morning, and so we rely on you, we depend on you, and we pray that this means of grace would be effectual to your people, causing them to walk in all your ways. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.